Welcome back to Emerge. On this episode, we're continuing with the Making Sense format, this time with friend of the show and wonderful human being, Bonita Roy. If you're unfamiliar with Bonita's work and perspective, I highly recommend you go back into the show catalog. The good episode to start is a source code analysis of power. In any case, Bonita and I discuss the recent two episodes with Jem Bendel and Vinay Gupta and try to open up a path forward for the conversation in the wake of collapse. I think we do a pretty good job, and I'm excited for the territory that we open together. Uh, my hope is that conversations on this podcast moving forward will uh, recognize the critical nature of the time that we're in, the uh, perhaps inevitable near-term collapse of social systems due to climate change, but look for new possibilities in the shadow of that narrative. And I think Bonita and I just begin to uh, sweep away the foliage around some of those paths that I see and that I know that Bonita has been dedicating her life to exploring. So please enjoy this episode of Emerge with Bonita Roy. The Emerge podcast is proud to be sponsored by the Monastic Academy for the Preservation of Life on Earth. The Monastic Academy, located in Lowell, Vermont, is a training center dedicated to the amplification of human maturity in the age of the Anthropocene. The Academy trains its participants through a unique combination of rigorous contemplative training, project-based learning, and a disciplined commitment to ethical behavior, all held in the context of deep community. The Monastic Academy is currently accepting applications for the apprenticeship program. This program, lasting two or three months, includes silent retreats, daily meditation instruction, and regular authentic relating practices. This program is free. Other ways to participate include daily visits, week-long retreats, or, if you can work remotely, joining the Academy through the co-working program, allowing you to deepen your practice while keeping your job. For more information, you can go to www.monasticacademy.com. Yeah, sure. And it's been interesting. Um, I think I mentioned this at the beginning of the part two. I've gotten like way more engagement around particularly the Vinay episode, but also the Jem Bendel episode than anything else I've ever released. And the response has been a lot of people are really excited. And a lot of people, especially with the Vinay episode, have been like, just devastated. Yeah, you know, I think, and I'm curious, like, what it was like to listen to it for you on like a kind of felt sense level. Well, I thought it was really great. If 
I mean, I listen to the gym and then the two Vinay's and I, so to me, they're kind of a package. Um, I can really understand why people might have uh, had strong reactions to Vinay. Um, I've been in conversations like that before. Um, So, um, yeah, I I, I thought there was some strong points and I also um, felt that there were... um, there were different perspectives around listening to him that were not um, added to the conversation. Mm-hmm. So I didn't, you know, I didn't really have strong knee jerk reactions because I, I've been in those kind of conversations before. Yeah. You've been exposed to that particular uh, conversational tone before. It was kind of new for me. I felt, I felt pretty, uh, I think people commented that they could hear it in the interview that I was like, just trying to keep it together partly, yeah. you know, myself. So, um, yeah, well, cool. Let's, let's jump into the, the four themes that y- you wanted to, to bring out. Uh, and so maybe do you want to just name them and then we can kind of dive into ones that feel most interesting? Yeah. So, um, the first theme is, um, you know, his whole approach to really witnessing suffering, really coming terms with this, bare fact of the brutality in the world and how that does and does not really, you know, how that relates to enlightenment or an enlightenment experience. And Mm. um, so um, I thought that was a, that was a theme, big theme. The second one is um, this notion of people as monsters Mm. and that a lot of what we're looking at if you peel back the layers, it's driven. People are acting, acting based on a kind of love and care, and then it turns out to create these these monsters that we are. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that was a big important point that we could talk about. Yeah. I'd love to talk about the Cohen he gave you. Yeah, um, yeah. and I have some ideas around that. And then just to end with, so those are three three big items from what he said, but also to try to um, introduce a perspective that um, might carry the conversation forward um, that wasn't part of your conversation with him. Yeah, I'd love that um, because I think it it can sound, the conversation with Vinay can sound as if it's the final word, partly because of his confidence and and, and his intelligence and, and the, just the force that he brings. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that you, I see you as somebody who kind of has another way forward. And so I'd really love to spend some time with that one. Um, but maybe uh, I'm, I'm really curious about the love, love being when you strip away the motivating factor that keeps these monstrous systems or these monsters moving forward. I, I'm curious, what, what, what is up? What is up for you in that? Yeah. So, you know, it's very similar to something Roy Bashkar used to talk about or, or wrote a lot about. And that is, he said, if you strip away, you know, if you strip away the context, you strip away the conditions, you strip away, you strip away. He had a very subtractive uh, spirituality. Then at the base of all of that, you'll find there's always love. And, um, so, so, um, what, what Vinay was saying was that 
these simple, you know, a hundred million simple acts of relative kindness, relative, mm-hmm. um, turn out to cause the, the world we live in. But where I went with that and what I'd like to say about that is that this should not be a surprise to people. I mean, the fact that he speaks with such declarative sentences, it mm. really shocks you into the paradox that is mm. operating when you really take a hard look at this stuff. But if you think about our gods, the Abrahamic God, uh, you know, what kind of love, you know, he sent his only son to be crucified and he asked Mm. Abraham to kill Isaac. All our gods have always been monsters too. Mm. This has always been true. And in fact, the devils in our mythology are actually more human. You know, they, they, mm. they, they're bad people because they have kind of human desires and yeah. kind of human follies. So I think it's interesting to take, I mean, we're not going to do that in this conversation, but if I had been in that conversation, I would have pulled that right out and said, well, this is not just what's happening on the earth today. This is not just the facts of the matter. There's something deeper in this whole way in which our gods have always been monsters too. Hmm. Hmm. So that was something that um, is part of unpacking, unpacking that. Yeah, cool. And then I, I'm curious. Uh, I do want to spend, I think, most of our conversation about how we kind of move forward from this, from the conversation with Vinay. But um, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on the on the koan. Uh, he mm-hmm. suggested, uh, I believe it was, uh, did Hiroshima save lives and our slaughterhouses death camps? Those were the two koans that he kind of gave me, gave us. Yeah. So, um, so one of the things that he, I thought for me, his interview illustrated, and I said, I've been there before is that, um, enlightenment certain types of awakening experiences, I think when when they happen in this relationship to suffering, and truthfully, I think that only when your awakening experience happens with this full and complete embrace of suffering, that, that that's really probably the true enlightenment. That's different than the human potential movement, which is... Uh, all about self-realization and this and that. Mm. So this type of enlightenment has this particular signature. But I would say that, and I'm getting to the Cohen, that you, it's not only about letting all the suffering in, but it's also letting in all the joy and mm. all the beauty and all the love and doing mm. that simultaneously. Mm. That's what is kind of required. And then when you do that, when you crunch that down into rational thought, or you try to, these these impossible Cohen's come out of it, right? Mm. So you could go down that rabbit hole, for example, um, he asked, did Hiroshima save, or Hiroshima save lives, right? Well, I could say, if I just put on my rational hat, I could say, well, maybe we should not have invaded Germany because Germany could have stopped Stalin. Mm -hmm. And, you know, or maybe we should have let Japan, you know, enter into China so we wouldn't have had Mao. This is just rational, linear cause and effect. It is not rich enough 
to hold that experience when you're holding all of that sum total of the human condition. You can't, you can't squeeze that into a rational question. And so for me, the, the, the answer to the Cohen is to notice that the whole move to asking a question like that is, is kind of not only meaningless, but insignificant, right? So, mm. Yeah, and, and my sense was in conversation with him that uh, that Cohen in particular, or those Cohens in particular were kind of, I think he was presenting in dialectic with this more, as you say, human potential movement approach mm-hmm. to realization. And so are you maybe pointing to a kind of synthesis beyond the two poles, the one that Vinay is holding seems more to emphasize like the hellish, brutish, uh, you know, nature of the world, the the self-realization or human potential movement, emphasizing more just the joyful, loving, uh, transcendent aspect. I'm more saying, um, and of course, it's, it's, it's something you have to experience is really to hold all of it at the same time. And and you, you're in that, that can create a very interesting state. Um, But also to, to um, think about where are your impulses, like the impulse to what is saving lives? I mean, everyone that was killed everyone that is killed is already dying. You know, just to notice mm. how the, the language of your mind creates this, hmm. this illusion that you're thinking. It's basically an illusion <laughs> that you're thinking because it doesn't, upon inspection, it doesn't make any sense. Well, can, right? can you say a little bit more about that? I, I, that's a little bit over my head. I imagine it might not make sense to listeners. So if I say, did Hiroshima save lives? Well, Hiroshima killed a lot of people. Yeah. Did we, but those people were also, you know, they were going to die. People, you can't save lives. Everyone dies. (laughs) (laughs) You know, if you really go there, it doesn't make any sense. You can't save lives. You only give birth to death. You know, I mean, if, if you hold the real meaning and then you try to, look at the sentence you posed for yourself, it doesn't make any sense. Mm. It only makes sense in a context and that context is relative. And then now you've lost this experience that, you know, Vinay was trying to show that he holds, right? That this, this Mm. amazing experience. So it's just pointing out the, the illusion that, that when you take these types of awarenesses and noticings that he has, it's an illusion that the rational mind is thinking when you use rational thought to try to grasp mm. them. Does that make sense? It, it does make sense. It does make sense. Thank you for clarifying. And, and so that seems to bring us quite nicely into the fourth point um, around how we move the conversation forward, how we kind of open this up again uh, in the wake of this conversation. Yeah. I'd be curious to kind of hear you open that up. Yeah. So I think to make it more, a little practical, I, I, I think that first of all, we cannot, we need to catch ourselves when we're th- 
formulating these questions in terms of linear causation. This is this is mm-hmm. cause you know linear cause and effect are not um, are not helpful in this situation. So linear cause and effect gives you statements like love causes monsters or Hiroshima saves lives. These are these mm. are just if this then that if a then b and we have to get comfortable with um um really using our imagination and our thinking faculties in new ways mm. so um um so the concept of phronesis and practical judgment and mm. um the new complexity sciences and emergence and this idea of participating and sensing Mm. our way through it's not going to satisfy our minds our greedy minds will say that's it you know well what i mean come on but to really pay attention and notice and 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 also as much of the human condition that can inform that so my feeling body of all of that is is operating an online when I'm noticing my next practical judgment. And this I do see Vinay is doing, you know, I mean, I really applaud the fact that at the end of the day, he's building houses, right? Mm-hmm. So that's a, that's a really good thing. Um, but there's many, many, many instances of practical judgment that we need at this time. Um, yeah, yeah, and that was the sense. I think you're you're speaking to my feeling after the convers after having some time to reflect on the conversation. It was like I couldn't. There was nothing that Vinay said that was wrong in my mind. So much as that, and and, and that in fact somebody can be completely right in their perspective and yet miss important parts of what's going on. Or important ways of seeing what's going on. And I think you mentioned like the imagination or this more participatory movement of being in relationship to our experience in the world. And for though for me, the, those those ideas resonate and have a lot of um, significance. I, I could I, but for folks that are listening, could you sort of just unpack what what exactly that means, what that looks like, what's in that? those those things for you and those ways of seeing for you um so it's a matter of you know i don't want to make a um trivial answer because i want it to resonate with the kind of um imperative Vinay was also calling for so participation means like getting you know getting into what's happening. And so when he was, he was calling out um, people in, in the U S or in the Western worlds for not knowing that, you know, these types of slaughtering and this type of miserable misery and this type of cruelty has been happening for a long time. And now all of a sudden we go through, you know, a recession in the U S and people think the world is falling apart Mm. because guess what? Now it's coming around and knocking on your door. So I think that um, that call to to understand as much as you can be embedded in the world and embedded in the, the, the what I call the sum total of the human condition. Our, your condition is 
interpenetrated with the sum total of human condition. And mm. so that we can rejoice in the joy and the beauty that's part of that, but we can't bracket or we should try not or make ourselves more available to the rest of the story um, mm. on, on both sides. And so um, I think that's what participation means. You know, what are you participating with? Are you right. trying to embrace and be part of the entire human condition? And what, do, what, do, what does that mean? Um, mm. Mm. And, and what about the imagination aspect? What's, what's wrapped up in that for you? So for me, that piece is about, um, if we look at the evolution of consciousness, um, there were, you know, there was, when we had mythic consciousness, early civilization until really the axial age, we could not make if-then statements. We didn't have the concept of linear causation, but that mythic, that mythic reasoning was no longer adequate at a certain level of complexity. And so, oops, up po out pops the rational mind. Mm -hmm. And for better and for worse. And I think we're seeing this playing out again. Now, if-then statements in the rational mind are no longer adequate to the complexity that we are able to feel, right? Mm -hmm. So this is, this is part of our new world, is that that basically before the internet and all this interaction these what what happened in other parts of the world didn't happen to you you just didn't know it wasn't mm. at your doorstep and you didn't know so basically it didn't happen to you but now we're being challenged to to take in much more complexity you know to feel in and to hold more complexity and this is try this is calling on us to imagine a new way to use our minds. I mean, mm. truly, I think there's a new mind coming online, just like the rational mind came online during the axial ages. So I think yes. that, um, and that's what I would like uh, someone like Vinay, who's really brilliant, to start Ho not hoping for, but anticipating and looking mm. where these minds might be emerging. And this is what I do in my course. You know, I say, oh, that, you know, I used to say, oh, that's pre-rational or mythic mind. And then now I'm seeing like, no, they're not. It's almost like they're trans-rational. There's something new. There's some new type of um, demand people have for how we use our minds and how we construe what's going on and how we address the complexity of our world. And so I think that this is actually um, emerging um, in our lifetime. And, I, and I, I see that as being very powerful possibility. Yeah. And, and I think that, um, well, I guess I'm, it's a curiosity, like, uh, I see Vinay as being this incredible exemplar of what the rational mind can do when it's used by somebody who has a deep reservoir of care and compassion. Um, obviously, the rational mind is often used not by people with that kind of reservoir. Right. Um, but And yet it does... 
in even in this case, which is like the most preferable case in which a rational mind can be used, it does seem like it's kind of hitting it feels like a limit. It feels like yeah. these these minds that we have inherited are just straight up not able to grok what is necessary for us to move forward in a new way. Like there's there's they, they, we cannot see a way forward um, in the way that I can sometimes sense that there is available. Like maybe maybe that's me experiencing or kind of touching into this new mind or this potential. But like there's some other way, and it does feel more imaginal. And I wonder if you could share. I, I know I know that this is the the basis of a lot of your work, but like where ought people look or where could people look to sort of both sense into where this new mind is emerging and even to cultivate it in their own experience? Well, where they need to look is in their own experience and, um, and to know, you know, to notice, to notice the, we want to experience the limitation of our mind but also experience the magnitude and breadth of our feeling capacity. Mm. Um, and the more you can hold, you know, what we we're talking about, hold all the complexity, all the paradox. I mean, it's paradox is kind of too casual a word for what you're holding, like all that, you mm. know. Um, and you, the feeling will overwhelm your mind, and that's like a good thing because from that something new emerges. That's that's kind of the practice, really. Mm. It's it's the practice of it's a it's a practice. So, um, you know, and then if you have a really good eye, there are places where. Um, you can see different types of minds emerging, like in my paper on metaphysics, the six different ways to go meta, um, four, five, and six are new kinds of, um, we're becoming conscious of new ways in which to put, um, like a kind of transrational lens on complexity science and stuff. So, I mean, it gets down to the nitty gritty so that this stuff is kind of happening. Um, yeah. There are people that are taking it to heart that we we can no longer use if then causality. So how do we how do we navigate unpredictability? And you know we talk about pattern recognition and all these all these really new ways in which um, people are construing how to think. And so that's that's where I you know that's yeah. where I go and look, but. Yeah. Well, one thing that's coming to my mind is I had this conversation with Jeremy Johnson. I haven't published it yet, but it was all about his new book on Gebser, who's a, who's a thinker mm -hmm. I haven't really explored his primary text myself very much. But um, in that conversation, you know, talking about the perspectival and the aperspectival and these kinds of like long arcs of the development of consciousness and getting the sense more and more that we are in this phase where there's this kind of organic response to the deficiency of the mind that we've inherited. And this emergent response is like, 
happening in all of us to different degrees. And, and actually, like, there is no roadmap for what is about to come online, what could come online, what might become available as multiple factors that used to be disparate throughout human mental history come online together. And that we really are like in a space where we just have no idea what minds might be might be possible like might be possible we just don't know what Correct. what consciousness could do now which is a really right. cool place to be in and so like that for me is kind of like the optimism on the other side of this kind of seeming like um breakdown it's like yeah, yeah it's there there is an end right there is some kind of end and yeah maybe there's some real tragedy there like maybe we didn't have to go down this way or something but there is this feel, this felt sense of like, oh, there's something that wants to be born on the other side, other side of that. And actually, the the more we can come to terms with this other, more, uh, this other ending, the more we can allow this whatever this new thing is to sort of emerge into the world. Yeah, and I think that this is kind of a new challenge for. Um, the meditative traditions because we have inherited um, meditative traditions that tell us about the nature of mind, right? The sense mm. of spaciousness and, and unconditioned, timeless, um, clear light of awareness. So that's the nature of mind, but they don't usually do a good job of looking at the nature of thought. They did mm. not, for example, deconstruct their own mythology, nor see the evolutionary move from mythology to rationality. And you have a lot of spiritual teachers who um, are stuck in rational um, kinds of um, thought patterns. And so we need to make the distinction between the nature of mind and the nature of thought. And the nature of thought is ever-evolving. and mm. Um, that's kind of a fascinating, a fascinating thing to watch. Mm. Um, so we have, you know, the development of our own mind, but over time, over human consciousness, we have the evolution of different types of minds. Mm. And so, um, that, that is, that is something that we can do better at in terms of, you know, can we design meditation practices to look at thought itself, not just to say, oh, there's thought, it's distracting, I'm going to get to the nature of mind. Hmm. But can we actually become facile with what is this capacity for thinking? Hmm. What is this capacity for feeling, you know? Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, it just seems, it seems for, for me, I experience that as that kind of question or that kind of invitation to be both like really exciting and really scary because I, I just feel like there are so few tools to do that kind of exploration. Yeah, like you were saying, it's all emergent. It's all, it's all happening now. It's all, um, it's, it's something that, the phrase I like to use that gives a flavor of it is it's not something we know how to do beforehand mm -hmm. and we won't even know how to, how we did it afterwards, but it's something we can learn to do. So it's like human speech. We don't know how we learn to speak. We don't yes. have a, a instruction manual and we don't even today, the linguists, they argue over 
how we learn to speech. We mm. but we learn to do it anyways. And I think in times of emergence, this is actually how these things come online. Yeah. We learn to do them, but we don't know how. Yeah, and 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 the other piece that strikes me as you were speaking is like this is how it's always been, right? Like people yes. people imagine or or forget. I guess better to say they forget that rationality, which is a you know this way of thinking that is so natural to us now, we're so embedded in it. That yeah. was like a real you know innovation. That was a real struggle yeah. to produce that mind at a certain time in human history, and now it's become kind of woven into our lives. So completely that we forget it was such an achievement. Yeah. And actually, we've built a whole big mythology around rational means. For example, most people today think that scientific advances happen because people figure things out, like pharmaceutical companies figure things out. They don't. They like they like experiment in the laboratory and they find peculiar uh, you know, pe peculiar effects, properties of chemicals. And then half the time they use them for something else because they were trying to, you know, and yeah. then after they see the properties of a new chemical, they work out the chemistry of it. Mm. And so we have always advanced, science has always advanced by imaginative leaps and experiment. And mm. The way we're taught about science when we're learning science is just the code, as if the code exists somehow for us to discover and then we can use it. But this has never been the case in science. It's not the case in science today. It's not how we learned how to fly. You know, people built things that didn't work and right. they're like, oh, well, why don't we try this? Or why don't we build a uh, right. a piece of uh, equipment that will let us, you, you know, if you see these movies, the, a lot of the technology in airplanes is getting the rivets small enough and right. polished enough. And this is not, you know, we don't, science has never been, let's figure out the code first and then build something. And yeah. so this is no different today. It's not, we, we just have this illusion that we have to know something before we can learn to do it. And this is not real. It's an illusion. It's a delusion of the rational mind. Yeah, I love that because what I hear you saying to some degree is that there is this kind of mythological or even imaginal function embedded within rationality that we, we kind of like forget or don't look at because of the mythos itself suggesting yes. that it's this pure rationality. <laughs> That's really funny. That's really interesting. Yeah. Uh, well, cool. Is, is there anything else that you want to, you want to say at this point in the conversation before we, before we come to a close? No, I just want to really shout out to Vinay and you and Jim and all their guests, because I think this is like one of the most, uh, yeah, exciting places to be on the internet. Mm. Uh, these days and um and i just really um i really love everything you, you all are doing so yeah cool thanks bonita that goes right back to you yeah. one of my one of my yeah. favorite people i've discovered as a result of this podcast i'm happy that we get another chance keep to the provoc yeah. provocative podcast coming i think we really need it yeah we, yeah. we need our wake-up calls yeah cool all right cool